Welcome to Backstory and Beyond with your host, Ward Camp, seeker, innovator, and president of Northwood Retail. As Ward travels the country, he'll share the industry insights he's gained over a three decades long retail career, introduce you to trailblazing business leaders and disruptive founders, and uncover the real deal about some of the greatest cities in the world. This week, Ward travels to LA to visit with Francois Rehani, founder of La La Land Kind Cafe, coffee shops with a mission to support foster kids as they step into adulthood. They'll discuss the intersection between social impact work and the business world, as well as the value of kindness in today's divisive landscape. All that and more on this episode of Backstory and Beyond. I want to welcome everybody today to a discussion with Francois Rehani, the founder of La La Land Kind Cafe and the We Are One organization. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, something that everybody that's part of our group that's talked about over the last day or two is kind of the message on your website, do the right thing and magic will, will happen. And so, you know, I think that's just the baseline for the conversation. But Let's dive back into, you know, you grew up in Los Angeles. Um, I think you moved away for a little while to Mexico, came back. You go to SMU. We're both alumni of SMU. Just tell me kind of how you got to Dallas, SMU, and then, you know, we'll dive into the rest of the story. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born here, but we, we moved to Mexico when I was basically a baby. I was like a month old. So I, we grew up in Mexico until I was 11 or 12. So basically my whole childhood we only moved away because there was a situation happening in Mexico where it wasn't too safe. So we, we ended up moving to get, we thought we were going to go to California for just a little bit until things settled down and then we would go back. So we ended up moving to California where I ended up growing, you know, the second part of my life in LA. And being in LA, I think for my parents, they were so used to Mexico and that kind of kind culture of like, neighbors and people and like people loving each other and enjoying life and LA was so different than that right it's a pretty rough place I would say you don't feel too much of that love it is like a shark tank and uh you know my dad wasn't friends with the neighbors he was used to barbecuing with people and he's that type of person and I actually ended up going to USC initially um while I was at USC my little sister was just graduating high school and my older sister was ready in her career and so it was nearing that time where I, I kind of questioned like, okay, my parents want to be comfortable. Like there's not really a need to be here. And so my friend had actually just moved from Dallas to LA and she was telling me how amazing Dallas and how nice the people are and the business growth and this and that. It was all just making sense. And and so I, I literally just booked a flight for me and my dad. We ended up going out to Dallas just, just to visit. And we both fell in love with it. We loved the culture and the people and the environment. And so initially the plan was that my family would move there first and I would finish at USC and I would meet them there because I was a senior at USC. I only had one semester left after I was done. And my mom, she kept telling me like two days before they were moving, like, I'm not going unless you come with us. And I'm like, mom, I'm a senior. I have one semester left. If I leave, I'm a sophomore. Turns out, always listen to your mom, even if it doesn't make too much sense. We, we found a place. My whole family moved there. I ended up leaving USC and transferring to SMU being a sophomore. And so my whole family was then in Dallas. And 
so you know you're there i I had a similar experience i went to another school i came in lost all my hours you're kind of undoing some of your education to get you know into a culture that's just moving at a really fast pace so yeah you know all of a sudden you start thinking about opening a restaurant yeah (laughs) tell me about poke the raw bar because i remember when it was coming on yeah yeah Yeah, so I've always, like since I was a little kid, I've been starting random businesses, whether it was promotion companies or electronic companies or selling calendars. Then when I started growing up, it was selling cars and flipping cars or whatever it was. I was also very used to the very competitive environment of LA and so much going on. And so when I moved to Dallas, this is what I think eight years ago now or in that range, at that time getting there and seeing how great the city was there was so much opportunity from the first day that my mind was rambling. Not necessarily that it would ever be a restaurant because I, I, I'd never really thought about that particularly. But when I got to Dallas and I wanted to eat like good, healthy food, there just wasn't much, right? And so the restaurant side of things was definitely at the top of my head. And then funny enough, my longest standing friend, my childhood friend, his name is David Rabani. He came to visit me in Dallas we were like standing at the lake and we were hungry and it was lunchtime. And he goes, hey, let's grab pokey. At this time, there's like so many pokey shops in L.A. And not one thing pops up. In that moment, I literally was like, oh, my God, I need to open a pokey shop. And so that kind of started my, my journey into hospitality. I, I started planning and putting logos together and names and what would the menu look like and looking for locations. And, but the key thing here is where am I going to get the money? Right. And so uh, it's funny how things just work out. I had a friend who lived in L.A. who we had known of each other, but then became friends at SMU. And I pitched it to him and he said his family would would like to be involved. So we got that part down. And then from there was this journey of I need to find a great chef. and I need to pitch a landlord on give me a great space. Right. And at that time, two things were going on. First, we found this great location, that middle of West Village was at that sure. time was so lively yep. and it was the perfect size. The perfect environment is exactly what we wanted, right? We went to look at the space and they let us know there was like eight, nine offers on the space. Uh, one day we come back to look at it again with an architect and, and she goes, honestly, I don't know why you guys are wasting your time. There's nine offers on the space. And so we literally left that meeting like, oh my God, like we need to, we need to figure this out. They're they're looking at this as a joke at this point. If you're sitting here telling us this. And so I think it was maybe that Friday we had friends visiting from out of town. We ended up at Nobu and we're sitting there ordering and I'm looking at behind the counter and there's this guy who's just lighting up the bar. I mean, like interacting with everyone, pouring people shots, talking about the amazing experiences and the ingredients and this and that. Like, and this is how you know I'm crazy. Within one minute, I got up and I went up to him and I said, how much do you get paid? And he started laughing and I said, I think you should come open a restaurant with us. We met with him at Starbucks the next morning, sold him the, the dream and the vision. You know, he was a creative guy and I could tell that he would want to be a part of creating something and not just working for someone as well. And so suddenly we had this great Nobu chef on our team to come open this pokey restaurant, right? So we put together this whole pitch deck and this time we knew we had to get in front of all the owners of West Village and try to really push this. So they ended up calling us back like a week later and it was the best phone call of our lives at that point telling us that uh, they they took our bid and, and we got the space. And at that time, think about it, 
for any landlord to give it to a 20-year-old kid who absolutely has no idea what he's doing is, is sort of mind-blowing. Even though at that time I went into it thinking like, oh, we're going to be the best. When I look back at, it, back at it now, looking at it from their perspective as a landlord, it's a huge risk to take on a kid who, who actually has no experience doing that. And so our goal was always, it was not even like, hey, let's be the best pokey shop in Dallas, right? It was, it was how can we create the best pokey experience ever, right? When we compare it to the best cities in the world. So we, we put together this great design and a great chef and we opened our doors maybe uh, six months later and from the very first moment, without even announcing anything, there was hundreds of people in line. <laughs> I don't know if you remember looking at back then. Yeah, I, I look back on it and say, A, the chef had been at Nobu in Aspen, San Diego. Mm -hmm. So he obviously knew how to bring the magic in the restaurant. But I also look, because Pokey, you know, all of a sudden, you started to see it around the country. Everyone was trying to open it. Mm -hmm. but that one stood out, right? It was in a higher-end shopping center. You guys kind of put your heart and soul in it. But I remember it was like, you know, it led the pack <laughs> in Dallas. So I think you guys were incredibly brave. And I think, you know, Robert and those guys were probably real fortuitous to bet on you guys. You yeah. Know, like you were different, right? Uh-huh. They saw something in you. It's funny because I'm so thankful for that to have happened so early because I was 20 years old and my whole life I was so eager to just make a bunch of money. Right. Like right. that was my goal. Right. I, I didn't really care about much else. How can I make a ton of money? And once Poke opened and the lines were out the doors and we were so supposed to be all fairy tales and the money's rolling in and the sales per square foot are like record breaking. Right. I'm sitting there like no happier than I ever was, maybe even less happy. Right. Thinking. Because, you know, we were talking about expansion and this and that. And I'm sitting there thinking, am I going to serve people raw fish bowls for the rest of my life? At that point, I started going to a bunch of, like, nonprofits trying to figure out how I could have a balance in my life. And uh, my sister's friend ended up coming and joining us at Poke one day. She was talking to me about this thing called Dallas Casa and about what they do for kids in foster care. And I was very intrigued because, you know... I grew up in Mexico where you have, you see kids homeless every day. I mean, dozens of them. I was like, oh, I would love to come to a meeting to see kind of what it's about. They had brought in three kids who had just aged out of foster care, right? They just turned 18. And the first kid went up and said his story. And, you know, he's talking about how, you know, his parents were drug addicts. He got taken away when he was eight years old. They gave him a bag. They threw him out. And when he was put into the foster care system, how the parents didn't care about him, how he switched 10, 15 different homes until he was 18. They put him into these shelters that were owned by, by private prisons where he literally couldn't see outside, put him on 10, 12 different antidepressant drugs. Then when he turned 18, literally placed him out onto the streets. I, I walked out of there more passionate than I've ever been in my entire life. And basically, I was thinking about what I want to do with my life. And at that point, my partner, they were trying to... Uh, expand the concept or whatever they bought me out and i said you know what i'm probably never going to do hospitality again I, i'm going to concentrate on building my nonprofit. this is what i want to do and so i built the we are one project and i was thinking okay i analyzed the whole situation i talked to everyone what's the best platform to make sure this works like how do we solve every youth's life that enters foster care and to me i thought providing housing therapy job placement and mentorship if you gave them that that every single time, problem solved, 
right? I was delusional in that sense of thinking like, this is going to work every single time. Well, we did it for a year and it was a complete and utter failure, mainly because even if we brought a youth in and gave them all these things, therapy, housing, whatever, they couldn't get or maintain a job. And you, how are you going to be a growing adult without a career, right? And so anytime we tried to get them a job, it was a Taco Bell or something, right? And even, even getting those jobs was, was so difficult for some reason, right? Like with no resume, nothing to show, it, it was a tough task. And so we kind of hit this roadblock. And at that point when I realized, I was like, okay, I can just build the concept that not only hires and mentors these kids, but also builds the platform to be able to show other businesses how to do it, right? Because even if I open a thousand cafes, that's not going to hire every kid. Not every kid wants to work in a cafe. Uh, Other companies have to learn how to also come on board and solve this problem, right? And so that's kind of how the idea for Lawland came about, right? I could merge this love that I had for hospitality, but in a much more, in a way where I knew I would love it more. That's why I picked coffee. Coffee was, not only did I know that the kids would love working in a coffee shop, being a barista was cool, the environment's beautiful, and also being a barista was a growing profession, and they would actually want to come into work, right? But also with coffee, I knew that I could actually touch the people that walk in because you have more time. Also, the environment's a lot softer, right? When you walk into a coffee shop, you're willing to talk to the barista, to talk to the person on the register, to sit there and hang out and lounge. And, and that environment was what I wanted, not just so grab and go, come pay and leave, right? And so uh, the name La Land literally came out of creating this kind of dream world of like, what would the ideal business be, right? Where you walk in, you feel this sense of pure joy and, and happiness, not only based on the design and the yellow cup, but also the experience of who you're touching and talking to and, and how can we prove this fact that like all human beings should be friends, right? Like why, why do people just go along their day and not connect or care about each other? And, and so we thought that this was the perfect place to kind of prove that model. You're at the tip of what I think is incredible entrepreneurship, social enterprise. You know, you have this affection for kind and happiness. And so you're trying to make sense of all this, right? And create this environment and make money at the same time. It's not easy. And bring, (laughs) you know, this cohort that's kind of been left behind. And so, you know, as you open in the business, just how did all this kind of, you know, work trial and error? And, you know, did people believe in your business plan? It's interesting because I'll, I'll tell you this 10 times, I'm delusional. And in my mind, at that point, even before it was one little coffee shop off the block of Greenville Avenue, I thought that this was going to change the world. Um, So for me, there was never a a sense of doubt that it would work. Now, if you look at it factually and put it on paper, for sure there should be doubt, right? But luckily, the delusion worked. (laughs) And so when we opened that store... It was a tornado. I mean, from the very first, and of course, there was trial and error in the sense of, I never ran a cafe at that point either, right? I, I barely ever drank coffee. And but of course, in the research era, I went to Columbia and I, I'm a perfectionist. So after right. that, I went in on ensuring that we were the best of the best, but you didn't have much time to figure it out because the line was out the door, right? Uh, 
So it's a brush fire and then it turns into a wildfire. A hundred percent. And from the outside, thank God, most people didn't see it. But oh my God, was that thing on the inside a disaster. Uh, thank God it was making money and the funds were coming in. And so that'll hold you afloat. But running that cafe, not knowing what I was really doing at the end of the day and trying to mix a nonprofit program into it. Hospitality on its own is tough. And then we're blending that with a, another program that's tough to run on its own. And then we have, you know, at that time, over 10 youth who this is their first job. Okay. You know, maybe showing up later, not showing up. And then at the same time, you have Dallas Morning News posting about you the day before you open. And boom, you're smacked with a thousand people walking in on the first day. There was a, a huge, huge uh, learning curve there. And it, it took a lot of time. But even in the learning curve, you know, I, I think we were two months in. I was already looking for the next location, which was before Oak Lawn came about, right? We we knew that at the end of the day, I'm going to figure that out. We know that we have the right brand. We have the right product. I just have to figure out operationally how to make this work. And I'm happy to, happy to do that, right? But, oh, man, <laughs> looking back at that, it's crazy. So there's a book that we've kind of gravitated to it's called the founder's mentality chris zook and james allen wrote it and there's kind of three principles to it and the three principles are you're the insurgent i don't think you're delusional i think the insurgent is somebody that's going up the hill no matter what they're going to you know the highest summit and they're going to the top and there's nothing that will stop them then you're running a business, like you said, and it's just, you know, on the inside, it feels like a disaster. Like I said, it, a brush fire becomes a wildfire, becomes a successful business. So you're figuring that out. And then the last part of it is the obsession with the front line, whether it's the sales, looking for the next location. You know, I was with you earlier this morning. You obviously really care about your people. So when you're walking out, you know, you gave a fist bump to one of the ladies that works for you. I know you care about your employees tremendously so kind of you know think about the insurgent managing a business like you said you're not managing one business you're managing two businesses your foster organization you know and then la la land kind cafe and then you're trying to look at the front line kind of like how's all that working and, <laughs> and do you obsess because i obsess with the front line traveling seeing what's going on I, I am as obsessed as it humanly can get. Um, of course, for me, we have an obsession with hospitality being the front line of making the world a lot better, right? I, I think when we look at it, and one of our managers, actually, his name is Thomas, he was like, we were opening our first drive through and, and his speech to his team was, being in hospitality, you're the front line of humanity, right? And that made so much sense to me because when you really think about it, the only people that the average person ever talks to in their lives are their close friends and family. And the only time that they have to go outside of their comfort zone to talk to someone else is in hospitality. That's the only time. Right. Or else they'll never speak to a stranger, right? And so we in hospitality have so much on our shoulders and says we're presenting humanity to people, right? right? Whether we're nice or rude or whatever it is, has a huge effect on how people see each other, right? And so if you've exited and they've told you love you as you're leaving right it's now a part of our whole culture that was off of me working in a store and i normally say love you to people very openly and i was saying it to guests as they left and i saw their reactions and then suddenly it became a part of what we do right and now we're sitting here seeing millions of people a year that 
pushes me so hard to create these things that end up showing people a better light of life. And so for me, whether it is, you know, getting better at the design or finding the next location or how do we create an even better experience or how do I connect to someone better, right? Like there is that mentality of no matter what's going on, I'm going to figure it out. One of my guys, Jeremiah, does our content. He asked me like, oh, like, do you ever feel like you've been off more than you can chew? And my answer is just chew harder, chew faster. Yep. And of course, thousands of challenges come about when you when you're have over 300 staff and stores opening we're in hospitality we're seeing thousands of people a day right and but that mentality for sure i think is is needed and also the need to always obsess on getting better and how can we touch more people and as the leaders we we have to take it on ourselves of course let's talk about you just opened in calabasas we were out there saw you know all the young kids at three o'clock on monday just talk about you know, you've been to Dallas, you've made it there, but you're coming home. And <laughs> this is, you know, this is the big leagues. And I think, you know, LA is one of the greatest cities in the world. I love LA, but man, you got to be really good when you come here. So just thoughts on opening in LA and, you know, yeah, is it no, everything I, you've I done? I appreciate it. I, I knew when I came back to LA, like this was my homecoming. I needed to knock it out the park. 100%. And at that point, when COVID had hit, we only had one store open, Bell Avenue. We were mid-COVID where everything was closed and you couldn't walk out of your house. And I sat there and signed that lease in Santa Monica on that corner. That already makes no sense on paper, right? Like people were so scared to even leave their house. And I was sitting there signing our biggest lease, right? And at that point, I didn't even know if it's going to no, – forget about COVID – you know, how do you know if it's even going to work in L.A., right? right? You only have Bell Avenue. And one week before that store opened, that block on Montana was a ghost land. Yep. And it was the first time where, because it's not in my control, I had anxiety. I know I can make the business work. I can figure things out, but I can't control the damn world. Right. And I looked down the block and I said, what the, excuse my language, fuck did I do? Yeah. And literally two days before our soft opening, LA released the COVID stay-at-home order. Two days. So the first day our the doors opened, nothing had happened. These people that live in Santa Monica haven't seen things in years. Not only that, not only did every business close and every single store on the block has a release sign on it, here's something new opening. That's bright and happy. And at that time, the most needed thing in the world was kindness. So the moment that store opened, it was madness. Madness like we had never experienced before. I, I mean, oh, man. That's mean, the one that really set you on the map, right? Montana Avenue, you know, for people that don't know it in Santa Monica, I've always thought it's one of the best streets in L.A. because it's, it's not a high street. It's a neighborhood street. And I remember coming two or three times in you know, during the height of the pandemic and I mean, outside on this, you know, your side window, it was set up perfectly Thank to you. succeed. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny because even when I signed Montana, I didn't think that it would do what it did because Montana, as good as it was, it wasn't that kind of block, right? And I, w I had spent so much time looking in LA, I got impatient. I, I was like, okay, I'm not going to wait for the West Hollywood or whatever. This is a good spot in the corner. I'm going to take it. 
And so when that store opened, I mean, it it did things that I would never imagine. Funny enough, that is the store that opened the door to the Grove for us. Right. But opening that store was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life because we could not, you could physically not handle the pure amount of traffic walking in. We had a brand new staff. We made a mistake in management and I had to fire the manager within the first week. So I was sitting there managing the store and it was so high volume that I had to change the whole operation completely. All of our training manuals and operations, we, me, Hazel and Jeremiah, which by the way, Hazel's our graphic designer, our designer, Jeremiah's our content creator with the camera, would open the store at 6 a.m., work the full shift, whether it's on the register, in the kitchen, or on the bar. When the store closed at 9 p.m., we would help them close and clean. At 10 p.m., we would sit there at the back table and all three of us redo the entire operation. We're coming up with new hats because we're looking at, at the new market, right? We, which, by, by the way, that's where our legendary hat, Be Fucking Kind, came about. And then we're sitting there with just hundreds of papers all over the table. It was the most intense era ever, just nonstop. And there was just so much pressure at every second because I also knew that this is our intro to the market. We have to be perfect. These people have to be leaving here talking about Lawland, the best thing ever, right? And so, man, did that pay off because that store... After it opened, we started getting all the calls, whether, sure. whether it was from the big brands or the big landlords. And then Rick Russo's family had visited that store a bunch of times. And that's what led to them calling us, talking about whether it was Calabasas or The Grove, which is crazy to think about. Because at that time, we still only had three stores. You know, It, it still wasn't a, a big brand. Rick gets it. You know, your timing was fortuitous. I think Montana Avenue was, I don't think it was lucky. I don't think anything you've done. Francois lucky. I think luck is a derivative of hard work. I do think luck is a huge part, plays into a huge part of life. I mean, whether it's marriage, whether it's your job, you know, breaks have to go your way. But I also think, you know, you've got to have hard work's got to be at the base of it. I think delusional, you have to be delusional, right? Because everybody's going to tell you no. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, fast forward, you're open at the Grove, you just open at Calabasas, and all of a sudden, I'm getting, I'm not a big social media guy, but you get Chris Jenner to post, you know, about kindness. And that's like Oprah in the social media world, probably bigger. All of a sudden, you, you're on a big field in a big city and you got big, big people following you. And so where are you now? It's, it's crazy because, you know, I'm always in this state of, I guess when you're so obsessive on being perfect it's very hard to enjoy it, right? Like even when I walk into the Grover Calabasas, I'm like, oh, the floor is dirty or I need to move that hanger. or right. And that's just how my brain works. But I am extremely appreciative of my life and where we've came, right? I think that's such an important part of our lives. I don't think I enjoy it as much as I maybe should. But when we opened the Grove, it was a very special moment for me in my life. You know, I grew up, my ch a lot of my childhood was at the Grove. I snuck into that movie theater maybe 30 times. I know every way into there. So just like growing up there, being in the city where at that time, me and my family of five people and four dogs lived in a one-bedroom apartment. And then sitting 
and opening this store in a really challenging space that hadn't been leased for a while and transforming it and creating this line of hundreds of people now on the biggest stage you possibly can almost, you feel such a sense of gratitude. And at least for a minute there, you feel successful. And then we get to Calabasas. And I don't know why, but Calabasas, for me, this opening has been just like the most proud I've ever been of, of the company, right? We, It wasn't just that it got so packed. Hearing the reactions after they leave was my favorite part. And understanding that like these people didn't just see it as a, as a coffee shop and seeing how much they loved it and how much it affected them and how much they appreciated being there. Talking about how they appreciate the environment that we've brought to their neighborhood that they love, right? Because Calabas is so tiny that way that we can come in and improve so- something like that and a whole community and people's lives just by being there was very, very special. And then at the same time, having some of the biggest names in the world also appreciate what we're doing. You know, the family of the Kardashians coming in there, walking there every morning, it was so motivating also for my team because don't forget, I've been preaching things for four years. Right. I've been saying to them, these things are going to happen. And of course, they've had moments of doubts whether these things are happening or not. And then they sit there and they've worked so damn hard. Uh, my team has probably worked harder than anyone in the world to, to sit here and be at this place. And for me, especially my, you know, the creative team and operations, to, for them to sit there and see this come to life, that their hard work paid off was such a fulfilling moment. More than anything, it was I was so happy that my team got to experience that sense of accomplishment and it fired all of us up because now we know we're, we're on the launch pad. And then just talk about why you thought kindness in a world that's mad, right? I mean, the world is kind of crazy. Yeah. And, you know, you came up with this idea of kindness and thought pre-COVID and just this world that's very divisive right now. But maybe talk a little bit about yeah. some of those points. It's it's crazy how my, my life just experience just has so much effect on how I think about things. Obviously growing up in Mexico with so much love and compassion from people and friends and coming to LA and feeling the opposite and my family at that point being in a really tough place in life, I was a very lost kid. I at that point I didn't have like a sense of care for life really or people or I was very lost. And frankly, I was not a good person throughout that time. You know, my teenage years, I just, I didn't care about people or anyone. I didn't care about myself. I had no regard for life. And I did bad things and I treated people badly. And, you know, I went years like that. And then when I turned 17, my grandpa passed away. And I don't know what it was or it was like the first time where like I looked at myself and I was like, what in the world am I doing? And I felt so bad for how I had acted for so for so long, right? And so first and foremost, I wanted to like fix myself. And so as I started to grow up, I really wanted to do something with my life that brought people closer together of how do we change that standard? How do we get people to understand that we should like love each other and there should be kindness between people because it does improve our lives so, so much when we do have that. To me, that's the biggest beauty of why I even do hospitality. Because trust me, if that wasn't there, I would quit tomorrow. I, I truly believe it's the hardest business in the world. But when you look at the fact that 
we get to touch at this point now millions of people that's a really special thing and so if i can create something that gets people to feel happy what a beautiful thing to do for the world right and that's obviously what what inspires me to scale and then when you look at how we went about promoting that kindness right multiple things for me i i, I believe in being bold for sure when we want to make a statement we want to knock it out the park and so bringing in the the cussing it was definitely a huge risk because you know you get the bad feedback here and there where people get angry and very very expressive of not wanting it but for me again i believe in doing what i believe is best and at the end of the day dealing with whatever comes out of it right and so that was who i am you know i cuss and i think if we're at least cussing in the sense of promoting something good right then it made a lot of sense, right? And so we, we launched the hats and they were a huge hits. There's, pe there's people walking all over the street with it now. And I think it's cool to really just promote that kindness in that sense. I think it goes a lot further of a way than if you just saw a hat saying be kind and be fucking kind or don't be a dick. Right. Somehow it, it does get into people's brains. And funny enough, my dad, when we were in Mexico, he was uh, he was in clothing manufacturing, and his main thing was making T-shirts that made jokes out of things, right? And there was cussing, and it was parodies and whatever. And so I think that stuck with me. And so when we started thinking about this stuff, it, it came into the play of the design for sure. Well, I think you know, as I started, if you do the right thing, it'll everything else will follow. So, could you tell us a little bit about? the internship program that you run? So the way our internship program works is every eight weeks in every flagship store, we bring on two new youth. And basically we have two slots, right? First, our youth director, that's a part of our corporate team. She helps the youth with their personal life side of things, right? So like help with housing and therapy and mentorship and that stuff goes directly to her because we have to create the separation between the work and the personal and their store manager helps them with their more work side of things, right? Showing up on time, how to be a great teammate, that kind of stuff. And so through the eight weeks, they learn both sides, different things each week. At the end of their eight weeks, they get to decide, hey, do I love working here? Do I want to go work at one of the La La Land cafes? Or do I like working with dogs? And if they do, for example, whatever they're passionate in, the youth director will then help them find a job that they, that they love. It's awesome. Thank you. Um, let's talk about you personally. You're in Los Angeles. You're from here. What are your favorite things to do when you're in LA? Food, you know, <laughs> chill, go out. That's a great question. When I'm here, it's my childhood friend. So I, there's a, when I'm in Dallas, it's like an island for me and I just work. That's all I do. I actually have literally maybe been out to a restaurant two times in the last three years. But when I'm back here, at least I get to see my friends and reminisce a little bit. Um, Definitely restaurants is huge for me. I like to experience new places, new service models, new uh, design, food, whatever it is. And, you know, visit, visiting hotels and, and things that are coming up. We're in the hospitality business, so I love to see as much of it as we possibly can. And then fortunately here, you're on the beach, right? So a drive down to Malibu on a Sunday with your friends is almost unbeatable. So I imagine your friends or your circle of trust, you know, it's probably gotten a lot tighter as you've built this business. But, you know, just... Any great restaurants that you love or that you frequent? Yeah, so my two favorite places I would say is the first casual one is Chato's Taco Truck. It's only open at night. I think it's maybe past 9 or 10 p.m. You pull up to this truck into a parking lot on a corner, and 
the the tacos are literally mini size, so you order like 10, 15 tacos just for yourself. Probably not the best thing to do, but it's <laughs> amazing. They give you all the grilled onions, jalapenos on the side. For me, I think it makes me reminisce on Mexico, but it's absolutely phenomenal. And the fact that it's coming out of this little truck it is crazy to think about. And then on the opposite spectrum of that is uh, Nobu Malibu. First of all, I love sushi. Second of all, you're sitting there at probably the most prime location in all of LA, directly on the beach where you're literally listening to the waves. Try to get there before sunset if you can, even though that reservation is probably near impossible. You wait two hours. And then you sit there and you have a beautiful uh, yellow tail jalapeno or crispy rice spicy tuna while you look at the beach and uh, sip on a lychee martini. And you stay out of the way of the paparazzi. Or yeah. You become part of the paparazzi probably over time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what... What's the one place you would tell everybody if they come to LA, you know, is it the Getty? Is it going to a beach? Is it, is there one place you'd say that's just, you have to see when you're in LA? My personal favorite is Malibu beach, you know, coming from Dallas and being able to just feel close to the earth like that. And also it's such a beautiful environment where it's not like touristy, right? You you get a sense of like neighborhood and people like love each other there and, it's a cute environment to just like kind of relax. And then just final question, what do you think the hidden gem of LA is? Is it La La Land Coffee? <laughs> <laughs> the hidden gem, which I don't know how hidden it is these days anymore, is a place called Sushi Fumi on La Cienega. It's literally tiny. It's not the craziest environment. You know, it's very casual, but it's packed and it's probably has to me the best sushi in LA. So just wrapping up, where do we find you? You find me on Instagram, Francois Rehani. I don't do Twitter. And my website's FrancoisRehani.com. And then you have uh, Lala and Kind Cafe on Instagram and on uh, all the social media apps. I want to thank you for taking the time today, Francois. It's, uh, it's been fascinating. And I think what you're doing is incredible, not only from a business side, but back to humanity. I think more people need to think about just being civil. Thank you. I appreciate you. it. I love you, man. It's good to be here. This has been Backstory and Beyond, hosted by Ward Camp. To learn more about Northwood Retail or the destinations from today's episode, visit BackstoryBeyond.com.